You're listening to Comedy Central. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Today is Tuesday, the 20th of October, which means if you live in Wisconsin, Hawaii, or Utah, in-person early voting has started for you today. So get out there and vote early, people, because remember, the early bird gets the worm, and everybody loves worms. It's a weird saying now that I think about it. Why are we eating worms? Anyway, coming up on tonight's show, Donald Trump is beefing with Dr. Fauci again what Nigerian cops and American cops have in common, and Matthew McConaughey is joining us on the show to talk about his entire life. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Let's kick things off with early voting. It's for maverick voters who've already decided who they want as president, which is insane. There's still two weeks, people. What if Trump becomes presidential? I still think he has a shot. Now, as you know, election day is just two weeks from today. But with early voting in most of the country, election day is really just the last possible day to vote. You know, election day is basically Halloween, and then early voting is CVS. You can just go in there and get the candy at any time without having to trick or treat anybody. The point is, early voting is already underway. And so far, it's more popular than QAnon at your aunt's house. We are just two weeks away from the election and nearly 30 million Americans have already voted. More than five times the number at this point four years ago. Long lines and long waits seen in the key battleground state of Florida. Some of those lines started at dawn. 94-year-old Mildred Madison, born when Coolidge was president, had her son drive her more than 600 miles from Illinois back home to Michigan so that she could vote after she never got her absentee ballot. Women got the last, especially black women, um, were the last ones that got the power to vote. It was wonderful to see a black woman running for vice president. Wow! 94 years old, and she drove 600 miles to vote. That is so impressive. I mean, imagine driving 600 miles. I bet the poll workers were so moved by that story before they turned her away for not having the right ID. For real, though, there should be a special prize for anyone who travels that far to vote. Like, forget the sticker. That's some bullshit. I want platinum, I voted rims. And I'll be honest, I get why Ms. Madison is taking this so seriously. Black women absolutely cannot mess around with their votes. Statistically, they bear the brunt of any policy failure, whether it's housing, healthcare, education, anything. So they make sure to vote. I'll tell you now, if this entire country was only 94-year-old black women, voter turnout would be 100%. I mean, on the other hand, nobody would know who Timothy Chalamet is, so it's a mixed blessing. But yes, early voting records are being crushed all around the country. And honestly, I get it. This is 2020. You gotta vote now, because there's no guarantee that we'll even have a November. And as it stands now, Biden goes into the final weeks with a large lead, but 2016 taught us that large leads don't mean shit. Plus, there's still a debate this Thursday, and who knows what could happen. I mean, Trump could announce that he's pregnant, and you wouldn't fire an expecting parent, would you? You wouldn't put me out like that, America, would you? Me and my baby. Although what's not gonna help Trump at the debates is that the debate commission has announced that they're gonna be muting the microphone of the person who shouldn't be speaking to give the other person a chance to talk. 
which I think is actually a good idea. I mean, as long as Jeffrey Tubin isn't in charge of the mute button. I'm so sorry, guys. I left it on the whole time and my dick is also out again. I'm so sorry. But guys, Trump doesn't care if you mute his microphone. He's just gonna shout. Or even worse, he'll just walk over to Biden and use his mic. He'll probably lick it too, just to mark his territory. That's mine. But clearly Trump needs to enjoy his open mic time while he can. And that's why he's holding large rallies every day to help spread his message and or coronavirus, which by the way, is soaring across the country. Corona hospitalizations are now rising in 39 states. But even though America isn't over the coronavirus, Trump has decided that America is totally over the coronavirus. As the country faces a third coronavirus wave, President Trump on the campaign trail saying voters are tired of hearing about the pandemic. People are pandemic out. You know that? They're pandemic out. They're getting tired of the pandemic, aren't they? Getting tired of the pandemic. You turn on CNN, that's all they cover. COVID, COVID, pandemic, COVID, COVID, COVID. You know why they're trying to talk everybody out of voting? People aren't buying it, CNN, you dumb bastards. They're not buying it. Yeah, CNN, you dumb bastards. Why are you spending all day reporting on the story that's dominating everyone's lives? Why don't you focus on some more important stories? Like what child stars look like now? Did you know that the little boy from E.T. looks like himself, but much older? Why isn't that in the news, you dumb bastards? Now, to be fair, Trump is not wrong about people being tired of dealing with this pandemic. But what he doesn't seem to realize is that unlike the rest of us, he can actually do something about this. Instead, he's acting like he's as helpless as everyone else is. Guys, am I the only one here who's totally sick of coronavirus? Why doesn't someone come up with a plan? Now, persuading people that coronavirus is over isn't the world's easiest sell. I mean, we can see the world around us. But Trump thinks that he's figured out the problem. It's not that a quarter million Americans have died. It's that too many people are listening to that bastard Anthony Fauci. With polls showing a majority of Americans unhappy with his handling of the virus, President Trump now laser focused on a new target, the nation's leading infectious disease expert. I don't want to hurt him. He's been there for about 350 years. The president began his day of attacks on Fauci on a call with campaign staffers. People are tired of hearing Fauci and all these idiots. Fauci's a disaster. If I listen to him, we have 500,000 deaths. The president later on the trail in Arizona, tying Fauci to Biden. And you know, Biden wants to lock it down. He wants to listen to Dr. Fauci. He wants to listen to Dr. Fauci. And he is a wonderful guy. I like him. He just happens to have a very bad arm. He has a bad arm. Yeah, you know what, guys? I, I can't argue with Trump's logic on this one. You just can't trust a scientist who can't throw a fastball. I mean, like, why didn't he practice? What else is he doing with his day? And honestly, it's kind of weird for Trump, of all people, to make fun of someone's bad arm. Lift a glass of water using one hand, and then we'll talk. Seriously, the scientists you want are the ones who are too busy in the lab to ever learn any sports. That's why if I was hiring a scientist, my first test would be to throw a ball at them. If they catch it, they're fired. So, unlike the country he's supposed to be running, Trump is having a blast right now. He's got his job, he's got his health, and he gets to throw parties with his friends. Hell, he's even been breaking out some dance moves or whatever this was supposed to be. But you know what? 
Maybe all the big rallies and weird dancing are just hiding a deep insecurity. Because even Trump must realize on some level that his closing message of Corona is boring and Dr. Fauci sucks may not get him over the finish line, which would explain why he seems to be making contingency plans just in case. Mr. Trump tonight suggesting at a rally he might leave the country if he loses the election November 3rd. The president, while in Georgia, saying he wouldn't feel good if he loses and perhaps would leave the United States. Could you imagine if I lose my whole life? What am I going to do? I'm going to say I lost to the worst candidate in the history of politics. I'm not going to feel so good. Maybe I'll have to leave the country. I don't know. Ah, classic snowflake threatening to leave the country if things don't go his way. But on the real though, where would Trump go? He can't go to Europe because he owes their banks a shit ton of money. He can't go to Africa because he called it a shithole. He can't even go to Mexico because some asshole built a giant wall. There isn't actually a wall. I just wanted to tell that joke. And look, I know Trump meant this as a threat, but my goodness, people, can you imagine an America that's 100% Trump-free? Just the thought of that is enough to make me wanna dance. All right, we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, Matthew McConaughey is our guest and we learn why Nigerians also want to defund the police. So don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Let's talk about Nigeria. If Africa was a country, then Nigeria would be Texas. Everything is bigger. There's a ton of oil, and the people love telling you that they come from there. Well, I don't know if you know this, but I'm originally from Texas. Have I ever told you that I am from Nigeria? The Lone Star State, woo-hoo! Nigeria is the best country in the world. And most importantly, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus! I was going to say the same thing, huh? Praise the Lord! So, right now, the West African powerhouse of 200 million people is dealing with a series of protests that might seem a little familiar to people living in the U.S. Nigerians have taken to the street for what is now a second week of nationwide protests against police brutality. Protests across the country started after a video circulated last week. It reportedly showed members of the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, or SARS, fatally shooting a man and then driving off in his car. This protest is being largely driven by young people. They say that they bear the brunt of the brutality of this specialist police unit. The hashtag #EndSARS trended worldwide on social media for days, with celebrities across the world of sport and entertainment getting in on the act. Celebrities like Kanye West have joined in the recent protests, calling for an end to SARS. Stop killing our boyfriends! Stop killing our children! End SARS now, today, not tomorrow. End SARS now. That's right, people. Nigerians in Nigeria and all over the world have taken to the streets to call for an end to police brutality in their country. And if you know anything about Nigeria, the fact that these people are all on the same page makes this even more incredible. Normally, the only time Nigerians get this united is when their team is playing in the World Cup or when they're shitting on a neighboring country's food. So the other day, I was eating sand from the desert. Then when I looked down, I realized it was not sand. It was Jollof from Ghana. (laughs) I'm so funny because it's dry. Don't taste as good as ours, huh? But even though this is a global movement 
that includes everyone from the youth of Nigeria all the way to superstars like Kanye West, there are many people out there who might say, well, what is SARS? And why do we need to hashtag end it? Well, let's find out why in another installment of If You Don't Know, Now You Know. As Nigerians struggled with high crime rates in the 90s, the government decided that the best solution would be to create a special police unit who could do whatever they wanted to stop crime. But as you might expect, things didn't go as planned. It's a unit that was set up in the 90s. Uh, The initial purpose of it was to deal with armed robberies, cattle rustling, um, and other violent thefts. They were given a special remit, initially not needing to wear uniforms, acting as a sort of faceless security force. Over time, essentially, they used their autonomy to be able to move around very freely, set up roadblocks, but they would definitely became the kind of more brutal face of the police, eventually being accused of extrajudicial killings, torture, corruption, and robbery. Many Nigerians essentially see SARS as a replica of the very criminal groups they were set up to address. Okay, I'm not gonna lie, that's a plot twist I did not see coming. The good guys who were supposed to stop the bad guys eventually became worse than the bad guys? I mean, I suppose that is one way to end crime. You just take over the crime for yourself. That would be like if you got a dog to protect your house, but then woke up in the middle of the night and the dog's got a gun pointed at your face like, (laughs) be a good boy and nobody gets hurt. (sighs) And I know what some of you might be saying right now. Well, if these Nigerians would just obey the law, then they wouldn't have to worry about the SARS police. Well, unfortunately, obeying the law doesn't help when just existing is considered a crime. There has been a policing culture that targets uh, young Nigerian youths that are perhaps seen in flashy cars, and these are seen as uh, internet uh, fraudsters. Because they see, you know, young people looking good or young people dressing a type of way, they just automatically feel, this guy is a criminal. You are profiled if you have dreads, if you have tattoos, if you're wearing tight clothes, if you have an iPhone. I've been in two times in just one year, two times because of my iPhone. And that is the first question they ask you, where's your phone? I'm a woman. I come back at night. Police will tell me that where did I get money to buy my vehicle? They'll call me prostitute. We cannot do that. I work too hard for my money, man. How can you see somebody on the road and you pick them up and they are criminals just by looking at them? Maybe I look fresh, all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm stealing. Yes. SARS would arrest people for simply dressing well or having an iPhone. And to have the police arresting people for their clothing choices must be so confusing. Because on the one hand, it is horrible to be harassed by the police for how you look. On the other hand, it's also kind of a compliment. And if they don't arrest you, then you'll be like, wait, hold on, what's what's wrong with my outfit? You guys didn't pull me over. But the most surprising aspect of this for me is that people are getting profiled as criminals just for having an iPhone, which is insane. Criminals don't use iPhones, they use flip phones. Everybody knows this. If you need a phone that you might have to toss down a sewer while the cops are after you, you don't spring for 5G. But this just goes to show that this issue isn't unique in the US. Whether it's American police targeting black Americans or Nigerian police targeting other Nigerians, police in many countries around the world know that they can abuse their power without ramifications because the people they harass don't have the power to respond. But after years of police brutality, Nigerians have responded. 
They've taken to the streets over the last few weeks to say that enough is enough. Unfortunately, the police response to these peaceful protests has been all too familiar. We are seeing acts of police brutality on protesters uh, um, demonstrating peacefully. Protesters dispersed by officers with water cannons, tear gas. Live ammunition was used to disperse protesters against police brutality. What is paramount to us is law and order. There must be law and order in whatever we are doing. You know, it's amazing how around the world, law and order seems to be code for, let's beat the shit out of these protesters. Because just like we've seen in the US, the police in Nigeria responded to protests about police brutality with more police brutality. And this is the kind of behavior that you only see with police. No other industry has this. Imagine complaining to your waiter that there's something wrong with your food, and he responds by spitting in it right in front of you. I mean, I'm still gonna eat it because what kind of monster wastes Benihana, but best believe, I'm not holding back in my Yelp review. Three stars max. Now, the good news is the protests worked and all the pressure paid off. In fact, the Nigerian government announced that they would cancel the SARS unit with immediate effect. The bad news is they already have a spin-off in the works. The Nigerian Inspector General and the entire world have heard those chants of NSARS, and now the country is dissolving its controversial special anti-robbery squad known as SARS. A rebranded Nigerian police unit called Special Weapons and Tactics, or SWAT, has been organized and includes members of that disbanded group. The campaigners here are calling the decision to abolish uh, SARS a hollow victory. And they say that they will continue protesting. They're out on the streets this morning. They say these are just words and they are demanding action. This is, after all, the fourth time that this very same unit has been disbanded and nothing has changed. We do not want them to say they are banned. They was banned 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. But now we are saying end to SARS. Okay, hold up, hold up, hold up. How are you gonna disband the corrupt unit, but then rehire the same officers under a different name? That makes absolutely no sense. That would be like if someone had a nightmare child who was like burned their furniture, and then instead of actually dealing with the problem, the parent was like, okay, I've had it, Jaden. Enough of this. From now on, your name is Brian. All right, here's some matches. Have a good time. I think we solved that. So, despite the government cracking down, protesters have remained in the streets and are now demanding wholesale reforms in all parts of Nigerian life. And as we saw just today, the police crackdown is only becoming more violent. But what started as a police protest has now turned into a call for a social revolution. Nigerians now want more jobs, better schools, better infrastructure, and an end to all corruption, which is what hashtag NSARS has now become. And if you don't know, now you know. Don't go away, because after the break, I'll be chatting to the legendary Matthew McConaughey. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. So earlier today, I spoke with Oscar-winning actor Matthew McConaughey. We talked about his new memoir, Green Lights, and what it was like growing up with acne. <gasps> Welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. It's really good to have you. No, it's good to be here. Like I was saying, I, I'm surprised we haven't done this before, but um, I'm glad to be here now. Looking forward to it. 
Well, I'm I'm a huge fan of yours, and I, I I've I've loved uh, enjoying all of your work. Some of it again during this period. You know, you you you've released a book called Green Lights, and it feels like it's a memoir, but it, in some parts it feels like a it's not a self help book, but it's like a, a book of life lessons, if I can call it that. Talk me through a little bit about like why you chose to write the book now, and why you decided to release so many snippets that you've written about your life from I think what the age of fourteen is all your journaling. Your yeah. journaling. Yeah, I started writing, keeping journals thirty six years ago. You know, like most people who went to the journal, went to the diary when I was in times of loss or confusion. You know, so and so broke up with me. My heart hurt. Why? I got pimples on my face and all this stuff. And then, you know, in the early 20s, started to find a little groove in life, found my frequency a little bit, was doing good in school, had a job, was social relationships were, were successful. I was catching proverbial green lights. And I remember telling myself at that time, hey, make sure you're still writing in that damn diary now while things are going good because. When you get in a rut again, you might want to be able to look back and see what your habits were. And that actually proved to be true. So I, maybe it was coming across 50 years old. Mm -hmm. And I started off two years, three years ago with the ghostwriter. That person fell off the project, which was the greatest blessing. That's when I said, okay, you got to go do it. That's when my wife said, get out of here. Go see what you got. <laughs> and, you know, it's a bit intimidating. I'm not a nostalgic guy. I don't really like looking back. So I was, thought I was going to be embarrassed and shamed about a lot of stuff. And there was some stuff I was embarrassed and shamed about. But most of the embarrassments I laughed at. Most of the shame I forgave myself for. And it ended up being the best time I've ever had with, with myself and my past. I, I, I think there may have been moments of embarrassment. There were so many things where I went like, oh, yeah, I've, I've lived through that. One of the stories I related to more than any, I mean, it did, not because of the ending, was just having the acne that was to the point where it was gonna scar your face. It's just a journey of how your mom was selling oil of mink and yeah. you had to, you tried to use it to get rid of your acne, which then meant that you had like one of the biggest breakup, like breakouts that you've ever had. But tell, me, just tell us a little bit of that story. So mom starts selling this oil of mink door to door, right? And then it says that one liner is, if you apply this to your face, it'll bring out all the impurities. But after the impurities are gone, you're going to have wonderful glowing skin for the rest of your life. Well, I'm 15. I got a few pimples. Say, hey, what about this? My mom's like, you should use the oil of mink. So I start putting it on religiously every single night. Well, what happened? You start to get more pimples. Three weeks in, keep putting it on. Now it's full blown acne. My whole face and head swollen. I'm scared. Well, I sent <laughs> up to a dermatologist. And he goes, what are you putting on your face? I show him the toll of mink. He says, no, that's for people like over 35, not you going through puberty where your, your pores are already secreting oil. They're all blocked. You're two weeks away from having ice pick holes in your cheeks. We've got to get off this and get you on this stuff called Accutane, which are cleared up. I'm like, okay, whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, around this time, my dad gets the bright idea of like, you know what, son? I mean, that oil of mink you, your mom put on you, it doesn't have a disclaimer saying kids shouldn't wear it. You got all these pimples. I mean, we're going to sue them. Let's get 50,000 bucks out of this thing. So he goes to the lawyer and I take it with him. And I remember this lawyer sitting over there going like, oh, geez, yeah, you look like shit, Matthew. You don't even look like yourself. I mean, geez, the, the physical part's bad, but you must have had a lot of emotional distress. And I saw his eyes kind of raised, like going, right, right? And I'm like, yes, emotional distress. And then he looks at my dad and he goes, we can make 35 grand on emotional distress off this easy, right? So boom, here we go. As you know, depositions and law, law, um, uh, law cases take a while. A year and a half later, I'm back now with the deposition for the defense, all right? The Accutane has worked. I've cleared up, and I'm sitting across the table from the prosecutor, and he goes, uh, 
gosh, dog, look at you. Look at these pictures of you back then. I mean, you didn't even look like yourself. You must have been so emotionally distressful. And I'm like, this guy's just handing me a softball. I'm like, yes. And he's like, must have not been. How'd it go with the girls? And I go, no, horrible, horrible. I mean, confidence dropped. I lost all, all the girls. Didn't want to hang. I'm like, oh, God, must have been so bad, so bad. Just scarred you for life, huh? And I'm like, yes, sir. And I'm going, this is a poor prosecution, man. And all of a sudden, he reaches under the table. And he pulls out this yearbook, but a page was marked on it. And he puts it on the table in front of me, slides it over and opens it up and points to it and said, who's that? And it was a picture of me from that year, a year after the act. Right. right. And it was me and Camisa Springs. On her sash, it said most beautiful. On my sash, it said most handsome. And just <laughs> I saw that. I knew in my mind. And he goes, yeah, so emotionally distressful. Hadn't it been? And I went, damn it, we lost the case. And sure enough, that blew the case. And then my dad went on for months going, gosh, damn it, son, we all we could have made $50,000, then you got to run off and win most handsome. What the hell? <laughs> you, you blew the case, but I feel like, you know, that, that was, in my opinion, like just one of the jumping off points for the life of Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, people go like sexiest man alive and good looking guy, but it's also like down to earth, you know, having crazy experiences. And that's, that's what this book really, really feels like to me. When you look at all the stories that you're sharing in the book and the title Green Lights, what do you think you're trying to share with us as the reader? That when I look back at my last 50 years, um, I noticed a lot of red and yellow lights. I've had my crises. My father died. I had a year abroad where I was completely lost and losing my mind. Um, I noticed that there were times sometimes in the moment of the crisis, sometimes soon after, sometimes years after, that I saw there was a lesson to be learned from that red and yellow light time of my life. A lot of times it was the way I looked at the situation. Um, I call the, 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 the sort of the tool that I've used is when faced with the inevitable, how do you get relative with the situation? Once you know it's inevitable, do you endure, do you keep enduring, do you pivot, or do you wave the white flag and go, I'm moving on? All three of those are means to getting to a green light. I found that most everything has turned into a green light or revealed its green light assets. Every red and yellow light has revealed assets. For instance, if we look at COVID times right now, major red light in our life. I truly believe that we that this will reveal green light assets in our future. I know personally for me, as much as an awkward and tragic year as it's been, I've gotten closer with my mother. She's gotten closer with her grandkids. I'm spending more family the damn dog longer. I'm reading more. I'm trying to find the assets in it, right? And that's not denying. Green lights is not a, a, a delusionally optimistic thing of like, no, just see the dice half full. No bullshit. It's not kumbaya. It's like, once it's inevitable, how can I see the assets and double down on them right. without denying the crisis? And that's when I talk about even humor in this thing. Humor does not deny a crisis. Right. It just opens up to say, well, now let's talk about it. Hit a little bit easier. It can reveal the truth more. So that's the thing that I notice is sometimes, you know, it's, uh, we, we can engineer green lights in our life. There are choices we make that mm -hmm. can give us delayed vacation tomorrow. Um, sometimes we're just fortunate and they land in our lap and it's what do we do with them? Um, and, you know, we can. The other thing that I, that I get from this book is creating green lights for ourselves is not exclusive of creating green lights for others at the same time. I love that. You know, what, what really struck me in the book is how you share these stories from your point of view. And what I love is how authentic it is. You know, people knew you as this really successful actor, especially in the world of rom-coms. You were the king of rom-coms. You wanted to do more. 
And it seems strange to say, but it's like, this was your challenge. How do you give up everything that you've worked for to try and get something that you really believe you want for yourself? And, and talking about that through the Dallas Buyers Club and like how hard it was to make that movie was, 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 was quite a challenge. Why do you think you were willing to risk it all to get to the place that you thought you needed to be at? It was at a time when it was sort of uh, what I was doing was sort of grading against my soul. I, 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 I think I say it in the book, I was, I was not sleeping well and it had nothing to do with the mattress. Um, I was enjoying my life. I was quite grateful for my life. I loved the work I did. I enjoyed the rom-coms. But at that time, I just had, Camilla and I just had our first son. So you have your first son. I mean, life is as big and vital as, oh, I mean, I had more rage, more love, more joy, laughed harder, cried harder. The ceiling and basement of emotions and how much I was feeling life, the vitality of life was immense. Well, in romantic comedies, the ceiling and basement of emotions are very compressed by design. So I was saying, can my work challenge my life's vitality? Can my work challenge the character I am in my life? Well, it wasn't at the time. So the work that I wanted to do that might challenge my life's vitality, they weren't offering. So I decided if I can't do what I want to do, I'm going to stop doing what I've been doing. And then 20 months go by. Now I'm gone. I've forgotten about it. I've considered other careers. Oh, guess who just now became a new good idea for some meaty, dramatic roles out there? Matthew McConaughey. Why? Because he's been gone. Where the hell's he been? He's unbranded. I don't know where he is. He hadn't been in my face in a rom-com. I haven't seen him shirtless on a beach. I don't know where the hell he is. Since I don't know where he is, he's now maybe a new good idea. And that's what happened. So I held out, and uh, it was a good penance, (laughs) good sabbatical. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, I thought you were amazing before I read the book. Uh, Now I'm a bona fide fan. Thank you for the time. Thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you for sharing your life. And uh, yeah, I, I hope for more green lights in your journey. And I'm excited for the audiobook. I hope everyone reads yes. the book, but to hear you reading those stories, because I had to fake it. I had to sit there by myself and be like, well, I was born and this is what I did. And I try to do my best Matthew McConaughey, but I want to hear your voice. So I'm excited for the audiobook. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. You are welcome. It's a pleasure to be here, Trevor. Appreciate it. All right, when we come back, Chef Jose Andres will tell me what he's got planned for the election. And uh, let's just say it's going to be, like, really delicious. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. So earlier today, I spoke with world-renowned chef and founder of the World Central Kitchen, Jose Andres. We chatted about his latest initiative, Chefs for the Poles, which is providing meals at polling sites around the country. Chef Jose... Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. How are you, sir? I am great. I am in Spain right now. I am in Madrid. I just landed a few hours ago, and I came to make sure that everything in Spain was okay and to see how we could keep helping Spain to keep moving forward on this pandemic. You you have been on the front lines of this pandemic from the very beginning. I mean, we talked about this a while ago on the show. I don't know if it was a week ago or, or two or five months ago, I've lost all track of time. What is the next project that you are embarking on and uh, what makes it so exciting? So Trevor, yes. So we created what we call Chefs for the Poles to make sure that every American, we the people, Republicans and Democrats, people waiting online for long hours for different reasons of why that people will have the right for a plate of food and water or anything else they need. That's the minimum we can do to the American people right now. 
it's unfair that in many states across America, like Georgia, Illinois, California, Pennsylvania, other states, that we will have men and women, especially in poor neighborhoods, waiting for three, four, eight, 12 hours. This shouldn't be happening in America. I know no American allow this to happen. I'm only trying to make sure that every American has the possibility to vote and bringing food and water to them as they wait online. We believe this is the least we can do. That's going to make a major impact for so many people who have to choose sometimes between eating and then going and standing in line, between taking the time to sustain themselves or, or taking an opportunity to uh, uphold their democracy. We're lucky to be partnering with you on this project as, as The Daily Show and as Comedy Central. Um, but you, you've teamed up with some powerhouses as well. Tell me about the, the, um, the partnership between yourselves and Michelle Obama's foundation. Well, number one, thank you always for you, your team being there for us. And, and, honestly, and honestly really thank you for your support. But obviously we have uh, amazing organizations. Two of them, when we all vote in Obama, that really she's emphasizing that every American everywhere that's a matter the color of your skin where you come from your religion has an opportunity to vote and also more than a vote of uh, the great lebron james who yes he's a great basketball player but he's showing to me and to america and to the world that great players are even better off the court than on the court we are gonna be a in so many places, especially on what we call the early voting day, where we're going to have many states at once going for the first time, have the opportunity to start voting. And we need to remember this. You may be a Republican. You may be a Democrat. You may have issues about what Trump says or what Biden says. But let's face it. We are in the middle of the biggest pandemic that we've experienced over 100 years if anything, not only because it's the right thing to do for democracy, but because we are in the middle of the pandemic and we need to protect every single American, especially the elderly. Simplify the simple thing of voting. World Central Kitchen is going to be there next to all these partners to make sure that every American has the possibility and the opportunity and the right to do that in a simple way. Thank you for what you're doing. We're proud to be working with you. We're excited to see what you're gonna be doing. Thank you again for joining us on the show. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you, I love you. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, if you liked what you heard from Chef Jose Andres tonight, well then check this out. We're partnering with World Central Kitchen for their new Chefs for the Polls program. They're activating local food trucks, restaurants, and caterers owned and operated primarily by people of color to serve food to people in voting lines, especially in underserved communities where voting lines are historically longer. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, the best way to not get busted masturbating on Zoom is not to masturbate on Zoom. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more.
This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Ow.